We're going to turn together, please, to the book of uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6. Our Lord Jesus is the one who is speaking, and so we want to turn together to Matthew and chapter 6. And we're going to commence to read, please, at verse 1 of Matthew and chapter 6. And the verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms or giving before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. I believe that simply means when we give uh, to the Lord or his work that we forget. Many people can give, and we could all be guilty of this, and then we remember what we've given. And we maybe would cast it up or we maybe would say, oh, I gave and they didn't do something. And that's quite common. But that's forbidden by the Lord. The Lord said, don't let your left hand know. You forget. So once you have given as from the Lord, that's it. If you cast it up, then you come into the category of the Pharisees. So you give as unto him and then you forget and leave it with the Lord. Verse 4, that thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. When thou prayest, thou uh, shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's reward for prayer. There's reward for giving. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his inerrant word. Let's unite again in prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can come into thy presence and before thy throne through the precious, precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do ask this morning, Lord, for the help power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. We pray that thou would stand amongst us, Lord, that thou would put a hedge around us and grant, Lord, as this meeting progresses, that the Holy Spirit would come in power. I give myself completely to you, Lord. I pray that you will cleanse me, sanctify me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray for his enabling, his power, his wisdom, his grace. And I pray that you would open all our hearts, Lord, and that we would hear your voice. So, Lord, come, I pray, and walk the aisles of this church and put thy hand on people and do a work in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we've said on other occasions, if you have a little child with you and you're finding it a wee bit difficult and that can happen, there's a little crash you can uh, go to and bring the little one. Uh, it's not always easy for a mother and we understand and appreciate that. And we have to kind of get the balance between a mother and a little child and then sometimes people who have come along to hear and if there's a lot of disturbance then people uh, find it frustrating. So there's a little crash there. If you're struggling, please uh, make use of that. We really appreciate that. 
I remember hearing a story many years ago of an African pastor. And as was his custom, he would go around the little village where his church was and around each member of the congregation. And when he would travel, he would go to the back of each of their little huts and there would be a little path that led out to the forest from each house. And that little path was where each of his members would travel to pray. And they would go quietly down their own little path to go and seek the Lord. And so occasionally the pastor would come and he would examine the path. And he would see whether it was well trodden or whether it had grown over. And so here the Lord Jesus in this passage speaks first of all about giving, but then about praying. And I want to be extremely practical this morning. I want to uh, encourage and help those who do desire to follow the Lord, but they're encountering, as we all do, problems in the Christian life and hitting obstacles that, that maybe we don't know a way around. And so that's my intention this morning, simply to bring some light and practical help so that you can pray and seek the Lord and that you can know his help today. I think uh, we have to be honest in saying that there is a huge problem today in relation to uh, praying. Now, this is very obvious simply because um, although we many claim to be Christians and to love the Lord, yet when it comes to praying, either privately or even publicly, we often find that it's the smallest meeting uh, of the week. A.W. Tozer, the great uh, prophet of America in the 1960s, stated with humor, he said, when you see a huge extension going on to the church, you know it's not for the prayer meeting because it's not needed. Now, of course, that speaks volumes because that shows that the appetite for prayer is not there. And I want to address that this morning because we can encourage people to be involved in work and people can do that. We can encourage people to attend meetings and that's good to do. But really, unless the heart is permanently moved by God, then all the attempts to rejuvenate the people will ultimately fail. It has to be a work wrought by the Holy Spirit inside the heart of the individual. And so I think it's fair to say that the church in general today in our land, although it is healthy perhaps numerically in comparison to other countries, yet it suffers the same problems as every other uh, nation that is affluent. And so we want to, as I say, address that today. We regularly hear of uh, Christians who are uh, either openly or secretly uh, living lives of uncleanness, which they are concealing and covering. We hear of dishonesty in business or in dealings. Uh, people who, as Christians, have debt and uh, perhaps even the ability to pay back debt but choose not to. Uh, we have people with wicked tongues and who are gossips and people who maliciously and cruelly say things that destroy and curse the lives of men and women. These things are all sadly uh, within the confines of the church today. And the Bible says in Peter that judgment must begin at the house of God. If we are to see God working in our land, then we must begin with ourselves and not be uh, con condemning and proclaiming judgment on everyone else. Corrie Ten Boom, uh, the missionary who had been in the concentration camps, said on one occasion, prayer for many Christians is either a steering wheel or a spare tire. And then she pointed out in her experience that for most Christians, 
prayer was a spare tire. It's just something you use in an emergency, but it's not something you use every day as in driving. Here the Lord Jesus uh, commands and speaking to his disciples in verse 6, he said, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that the Bible is very uh, explicit in that uh, prayer is something to be uh, regularly uh, maintained in the life of the Christian. It is not an up-down thing, but rather a thing of regularity. And uh, the psalmist could say that evening and morning and noon will I pray. Uh, We are encouraged uh, in the Bible to pray and not to faint to keep in this avenue of seeking the Lord. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel had come out from Egypt, then they found themselves somewhat uh, lost with regard to food. And they began to cry to God for food, and God sent them manna uh, from heaven. And when the manna came down, the Lord said, you will go out daily, and you will collect the manna enough for that day. That was drawing, as it were, on the life of Christ. He is the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And so the Lord said, you must draw on Christ every day. And this is where the closet becomes essential. Also in the book of Genesis chapter 3, we have the amazing story which I absolutely adore and meditate on many times in Genesis 2 and 3 where we have God uh, having interaction with Adam before sin. And that's the only place in the Bible where we have an insight as to what it was like for God and man together without sin. And what the Bible tells us is that Adam is in complete harmony. There is no threat of death over him. He's not dying. He's not sinning. He's enjoying the favor, blessing of God, but he's working each day. He has errands to do, as it were, looking after the great garden. And of course, that gives us a little insight to what heaven will be like, because in heaven we will have errands. We will have work to do. If you think you're going to go to heaven and sit and play a harp, I don't know where you got that, but it's not in the Bible. The Bible says his servants shall serve him. And responsibilities will be given by God according to service and the final judgment that is passed on each believer. And the Lord will decide what errand we do. And so uh, the Bible makes it clear that uh, he was working in the garden. But then this unique thing happened every evening. And that was that the Lord came in the cool of the day. Now, my understanding is that that was the person of the Lord Jesus himself who came to the garden and there was this really close communion that took place. You see, Adam was already in a relationship with God in that he was God's child. He was made by God. There was a relationship. God was his father and his creator. But then there was this unique period in the day when the Lord would come and he would meet Adam every day. That sets for us the example for the believer on earth. But what we, of course, understand as not being in the era of Adam, but under the condemnation of sin and where the devil is the prince of the power of the air, and where there is so much demonic activity and so much wickedness around us, then these things all have an impact on us in regard to this communion, this time alone with God. And so what we have to do with the aid of God and the Holy Spirit is we have to detect in our lives where these areas of opposition are 
that are impacting and breaking our communion with God. And we've got to resolve that. We've got to solve that. And it's different for every Christian. But the tools are available by the grace of God. Otherwise, Jesus would never have said to us, go to your closet. Your father will reward you. Jesus knows that it's possible for every believer to have close communion with him. Because greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. But as I said, there are problems. There are temptations. There are trials. And these are all means and methods to impact negatively our communion with the Lord. I'm so glad when I got saved, my conversion was very radical. It was radical to me personally. That is, before I was converted, I was totally uncertain about my soul. I was uncertain about my destiny. Um, I had many concerns about death. But once I came to the Lord in that conversion, when I cried to God for mercy immediately, the Holy Spirit entered me and I knew. And it was so life-transforming that from then on, there always was a desire to follow the Lord. And also, there was always an inner awareness that I needed to be in prayer. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I have successfully moved through prayer and it has been one victory after another. I'm sorry I can't tell you that. But I, I have been trying to learn about prayer over my Christian life. And I thank God that one of the areas where I have found great help is that all my Christian life, I have always been in prayer meetings. All of, I would say, from God had dealings with my life after, uh, after conversion. There was a desire for prayer. But then when God had real dealings with me subsequent to that, in my early 20s, I always was in prayer meetings that I would determine as Holy Ghost prayer meetings. And that has been a blessing beyond, I can't explain to you, the blessing that has been to me over all my Christian life. To be with other people who have a great hunger for the Lord. To be with people who are completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, they're not in the majority. But if you seek the Lord with all your heart, God will bring you to the right people. But if there's not a seeking heart in you, then there's no real point in God doing that because he knows that you're not hungry and you're not prepared to make the changes that are necessary to get you to the place where you're in the will of God. There's a place of regularity in prayer. But not only is there regularity, it is also to be a place, the, the closet of integrity. It's a place of integrity. You see, the Lord said, you'll not be like the hypocrite. That's where we get the word actor. You'll not be an actor or an actress. And sometimes people in their Christian walk and life are actors and actresses. And they would really put Shakespeare to shame. They're so good at it. And when you meet them, you feel, you know that person's such a wonderful place. Oh, what a wonderful Christian. At all the meetings, and you know, saying all those wonderful things and quoting the Bible. Oh, my dear friend, do not be deceived. You can have all those things. And yet when it comes to communion with God, there is none. Now, I want to point out to you that it is communion and not a monologue. You see, there are many lovely Christians and they consider and their experience largely is the communion place or the closet is a monologue. That is where I talk to God. Communion, my friend, is not only where I talk to God, but where God 
talks to me. And that is a huge problem for the average Christian. They're very familiar with the voice of the pastor and the voice of the minister. But they're not familiar with the voice of the Lord. The Lord says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You see, the problem that Jesus was pointing out in verse 5, he said that the Pharisees come and they stand at the synagogues that they may be seen of men. Verily, they have their reward. You see, the wrong motives. Many of us judge one another, and we all do this, and we say, oh, that's a wonderful Christian. And you may say, oh, what a wonderful preacher, or what a wonderful prayer life, or what a wonderful testimony. But you see, my dear friends, where you and I have a problem is that we cannot assess motives. Here's the issue. God's God's checking motives. They're doing things, but they're not doing them for the right motive. And this is the great heart of the issue when we come to prayer and why we need to be in communion because motives can completely destroy communion. In other words, it's like the preacher, I'm sure I've mentioned before, the young preacher, and he was fervent for God, And he had a picture of D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, and he had Robert Murray McShane, the prayer warrior, and he had Albert Finney, the revivalist, and he got down before God and he said, oh, God, use me and make me a combination of these three men. You see, there he was in fervor and prayer, oh, God, use me. But the subtlety and the deception of his own heart as a Christian was, but make me great. Make me well known in the church. You see, my dear friends, motives are very important to God. And motives have to be brought to God. Motives have to be crucified along with the flesh. They have to be laid before God. I remember whenever I gave everything I had to the Lord Jesus, and I have sought all my life to keep in that place where my life is his, and whatever he wants to do, that's my desire. And I remember early on the devil came to me and I maybe would have preached or done something and the devil said, oh, you, you really enjoyed that. You, oh, your motives weren't pure for that at all. You weren't interested in God's glory. You just like people saying that you, they enjoyed you and your head blew. And I went through torture. And I said, God, I don't know how to get around this. Because when I try to serve you, I believe that I really want to serve you, but these thoughts are all coming, and, and then I get confused, and maybe, maybe my heart's not right. And this is often the case that when you're honest with God, God will come to your aid. And God did for that occasion, and he said to me, I want you just to hand your motives over to me. I want you just to give them to me. Because you can't control them. The enemy can speak at will into your mind and you have difficulty discerning what's going on. I want you just to give your life completely to me and give your motives. And I did that. And I said, Lord, I'm giving all my motives. I'm just yielding them to you. You just do what you want, Lord. And whatever the enemy throws at me, I don't care because I have already decided, I've made my mind up, I'm going to do it for the Lord. And the Lord set me free from that. You see, dear friends, hypocrisy is the individual who is looking for a name. The person who is kind of on occasions looking for public approval and public opinion in their favor. It is that subtle, very deep desire to have a reputation that is admirable. Let me tell you from experience and from reading over many years and the testimony of many down through the years that the two, generally the two last things that God will assess or put pressure on a man or woman for to be totally sold out to him, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to do the will of God in their life. The two generally last areas that are the, are, are the real trials is number one, it's in your hip pocket, it's called your wallet. When God gets a man's wallet, he's well into his heart. 
The second thing, probably deeper, is reputation. Reputation. What people think of you. I remember the late Ivan Thompson said about these people in church and they come and give their testimony on a Sunday night and they say, you know, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. And then he said, somebody on Monday morning says something about them and says, and they get up and they say, who are you to say that about me? Reputation. A.W. Tozer said on one occasion when he was being greatly tried as a pastor and was wonderfully used by God, and he said all manner of things were being said about him that were untrue, and he was hearing them, and he, he was really getting up tense about it, about why these people were saying things about him, and they weren't true, and he was being misrepresented, and, and, and all this was going on, and, and Tozer was praying, and he said, I went into my kitchen, and he said, I, I looked out at the garden, and we had a little mat at the back door. And the dog had the mat. And he said, I looked out the door and there the dog was throwing the mat in the air. And he was biting it and throwing it and biting it and throwing it. And God says to him, that's what I'm doing with your reputation, Aidan, at the moment. You see, my dear friends, reputation is what men think you are. Character is what you are. You don't have to look after your reputation. You have to look after your character. And God will look after the rest. Just do it by faith. There will be times when you'll go through difficult experiences and God will try you. But you keep your eye on him and you keep trusting him and keep your heart right with God and leave all the rest in the hand of the Lord. And Tozer said, once God said, that's what I'm doing with you. The old mat's been pulled up and thrown in the air. Tozer said, Lord, go for it. Go for it. As long as I'm right with you, I don't care what men think. I don't care what they say. Because God alone can read the human heart. God alone knows what men's motives are. And God is the final judge. And so the Lord Jesus said, you must be careful And and James, James said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss and consume it upon your lust. The problem in James's day was that they weren't prayerless. It wasn't a problem of people not coming to meetings or prayer meetings. He said, you do pray. This This is another problem. Many Christians say, well, our prayer meeting's full. But what is it full of? That's a problem. What's the prayer meeting full of? I say sometimes you get people into prayer meetings, and I'm not joking on this, you'd be far better removing a number of them and blowing up big balloons and painting faces on them and having them in the prayer meeting. Because a Christian can bring a bad spirit, a bad attitude, a killing influence into a prayer meeting, whereas a balloon won't do that. And so sometimes it's better actually to have balloons in the meeting than people. We have to pray vertically and not horizontally. You talk to the Lord, you're not talking to people around you. People sometimes say, he, he didn't say amen after me. I prayed my prayer and they didn't say amen. Your other man prayed and they were all saying amen. And then you start telling God, Lord, I want to tell you about this and that and the other. And they're not telling God at all. I I sometimes feel like pulling my ears off and pulling my hair out in prayer meetings where people start telling and explaining to God. I remember one fellow in particular, and he used to always say, Lord, I want you to do this. And he would go through all the details and do this and get that person to do that and do this and do that. And by the time he had finished, I said, that was just an instruction. I mean, do you think God's not able to sort that out? That's not praying. Praying is calling on God from your heart. It's not giving God an instruction and doctrine. It's not explaining to God what's going on in the world. It is crying to God from your heart. He is the one who is God. We are the ones who are in need. The great example, of course, of prayer is our Lord Jesus. And I would suggest to all of us to take time 
to consider Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Let me read it to you. But to take time yourself even this week to think about it. Came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What did the disciples see? And what did the disciple hear? As the master prayed. Was it the presence of God that was so mighty? That the disciple was overwhelmed? Was it the words that came out of the mouth of the master? Was it the intimacy that he recognized between the father and the son? I don't know. Perhaps all. But I know this. When Jesus had finished praying and the disciple had the privilege of hearing Jesus pray, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you know what that tells me, my friends? We need to be taught how to pray. It's like going to school. You have to learn how to pray. There is an art in prayer. And you know where you learn it? Through praying. You can't learn it any other way. You've got to pray to learn to pray. You see, my dear friends, uh, When our Lord Jesus was on earth, he spent much time alone. The Bible says on occasions he prayed all night. He was in complete solitude. You see, the the thing about solitude is this. You see, you, you have come to church this morning. Some of you might be a bit bored. I hope you're not. It's an odd odd person looks a bit bored, but I'm sorry about that. But some of you look not too bad. So thank you. See an odd wee smile there. That's lovely to see a smile. You can come to church and you see, you mightn't get a lot out of it, but you'd say it was nice to be there. Nice to meet the people. I used to give you a handshake. I was talking to Jimmy the day. I was Billy the day. He was telling me that Mary's not well and her leg's not good. And whatever. Nice. You see, for many Christians today, the house of God has simply become a substitute for the public house where they used to go and get their amusement. That's what the house of God has become for many Christians now. They don't go anywhere else. They don't meet anybody else. So we go to church. That's where we do our gossiping. It's a little bit more religious. We say pray about things. We put Jesus into it, you know, but we do the same stuff. Now, why I'm bringing this message this morning is because at the moment, there is a uniqueness about what is happening in this church. And that is, as far as I'm aware, you are falling into that category that I believe Jesus laid down for the church. When he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. I think when Jesus was saying that, he was really emphasizing that the primary or the most important aspect of church life is prayer. And I think that should be reflected in in the volume and the seeking of God in a place. And again, these are simply observations and reflections of where the church is today, because if you go to any average church evangelical or whatever title or you will find that praying is really not a big issue i mean half an hour in the midweek and really it the, the praying for half an hour inoculates people to prayer it deceives them into thinking that they pray they would really be far better saying as a church we're into evangelism soul winning we're into all this but we're not a praying church we don't pray Now, a church would never think of saying that, but that would be a good thing to do because what it would do is it would shock people and say, what? We're a church and we don't pray? Yes, my friends, that that is the fact. 
Now that has been mentioned, I'm sure, many times in this and many other pulpits across the country, and I don't want to labor on that or to start blaming or accusing. I'm just simply pointing out something. What I want to draw to your attention is something of the solution. You see, my dear friends, the the wonderful thing about being alone and not in a company or coming for, but being Jesus said, go into your closet, be alone, is that that's where the real test of devotion takes place. That's where you hit reality when you're alone and there's no husband, wife, church, family, laughter, gossip, nothing's there, just you and God. That's it. You're in your room. You're in your closet. That's the test of your devotion. That's the acid test of where I am spiritually. Now, when you think about that as I'm speaking, you might say, oh, dear help us, that's alarming, Alan. I really don't have much in that area. Well, that's okay. Be honest. Okay. But what are you going to do about it? Because God says you've got to come into the closet. And he said, if if you learn in the closet, I'll reward you. You want to decide, well, is that what I want? You see, friends, there's no praise in uh, in the closet. There's nobody coming to give you pats on the back. There's no flattery. Because nobody's seeing it, just God. So Jesus said, I want you to, any, any possibility of a hypocrisy, Jesus said, we're getting that out of the way when we get you alone. Because you have nobody to show off to anymore. The example of our Lord Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus said regarding following the Father, he said, I want you, he said, to be and to learn from the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You say, well, what, what, what's, what's he trying to teach us in that great scripture regarding the person and work of the Lord Jesus? What he points out, first of all, is that Jesus didn't cling to the glory of his deity. He was prepared in obedience and love to his father. He was prepared to let go of position, to let go of some of his glory that he carried in heaven for eternity. He said he didn't grasp it. He didn't cling to it. He willingly let it go so that he could become a man. That tells me that the Lord Jesus is the perfect example of humility in that he gives up the most wonderful things in order to simply please his Father. And you're starting to progress in your Christian life when you begin to give up everything for your Father. You see, my dear friends, the Lord Jesus was prepared to accept a lowly place. He was willing to relinquish, willingly to relinquish a great position. And that's some test of humility, to relinquish what is rightfully yours and to let it go simply for the will of of the Father. Jesus not only set example by relinquishing what was precious to him, but in obedience, he had total commitment to God. He was completely and totally obedient from birth until the last words and moments on the cross. Jesus was always obedient to his Father. He was completely committed. In other words, you said to Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing today? I'm doing the will of my Father. My meat, my bread, my food, my life is to do the will of him that sent me. That's all that I live for. 
If you feel and you're sure that I can say confidently, that's what I can say to you. My, my will, my bread, my meat, my life is just to do the will of God. Then, my dear friends, you're moving in the right direction. But not only that, the Bible says that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself to become a man, but then he endured reproach. He endured all the brutality of what happened on the cross, and he endured to the very end, endurance. Now let's draw toward the end. Say, well, okay, then, Alan, right, we have to follow the Lord Jesus. He's the example of prayer. So what do I do then? Jesus said, get into your closet. Well, find your closet. Find the place, if it's a car, if it's the house, if it's the bedroom, if it's going for a walk. I don't care. Find your closet. That's the place where I meet with God. That's the place where if the African pastor comes, he can see that that's trodden well every day. What do I bring with me? Well, you bring a Bible with you. Not only do you bring a Bible to uh, 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 pray over, but also you have a kneeling heart. Now, it's not bad to have a kneeling, kneeling knee because it's a good reflection of how your heart is. Although, again, the old problem with a kneeling is it could be a bit of a show-off, but hardly likely in the closet. But what God wants is a kneeling heart. You're coming in submission and yieldedness to God, coming with what light you have and coming in obedience and submission. So you bring a Bible, uh, the great um, George Mueller, who was used wonderfully by God in the 1800s, said that his method of waiting on God was he always knelt and he always prayed. He never read the Bible without praying over the Bible. He didn't just read it, he prayed over it. And when he came to a command, he would say to God, Lord, give me the grace to fulfill this command. When God would guide him with regard doctrine, he would say, Lord, help me to cling to the truth and buy the truth and sell it not. It doesn't matter what the church thinks. It doesn't matter what people think. Lord, if you're showing me something, Lord, I'll buy the truth. I'll get a hold of it. I'll pay the price. And I'm not letting truth go. So the man grew in God in the closet. Not only do you require a Bible and a kneeling heart, but also you require the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the reason why many people go to the closet and they find it boring and they find it uninteresting. And by the time they've read their wee verse or their wee book or whatever it might be, and they've said their little phase of prayers, then they say, boy, I've got to get out here. I've got to get out of here. You know, I've kind of, I've, 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 I've done my penance. I have done my purgatory. I have done my Hail Marys, my Protestant Hail Marys. I, I've done it all and now let's get out. Because the real excitement is nothing to do with the time with God. The excitement is about what I'm going to do when I get out from this. You're not well spiritually, if that's the way you think. You're not well. And you could be dressed this morning and you could know doctrine inside out and you could have been brought up in the best evangelical church. But I want to tell you, my dear friend, you're not well spiritually, if that's the way you think. You see... I'll grant you that there are times when you're in prayer and it can be a difficult time. I'll grant you there are times you could go in and it is tough and hard and you almost feel defeated and you come out. I'll recognize that. But that just becomes an occasional thing to happen. If that's the regularity of your Christian life, that shows how sick you are. Now, most of us today look as though we've had good meals and none of us miss the table. But if you were to compare your appetite for physical or material food and set beside it your appetite for God, would you be like a skeleton this morning in this place? Or would you be like, as the psalmist said, the righteous are fat and flourishing? You see, friends, you've got to address this. Everything hangs on it. Everything of the Christian life, everything hangs on this. You say, well, when I get in, I do feel a bit bored. That's because the Holy Spirit's not there. His presence and power's not there. You're on your own. That's why you get bored. 
So you've got to ask, well, why is he not here? Why do I not sense God? Why is there no communion? Why is it? Well, you've got to find that out. What, what's wrong? What's wrong? And so you've got to start getting honest and say, God, I don't even have the desire to be here. Please, Lord, I'm earnest in my heart. Show me what's wrong with me. Just give God time. Just give him time and ask him, Lord, I'm just asking. I want to be real. I want to be honest. I don't care what your problem is this morning. I don't care whether there's an area of uncleanness in your life or some area of failure. That's not the issue. That's not the issue to God either. The issue is that I don't have the desire for communion because it is only as the communion is developed that the areas of failure will be dealt with. It is only as you're strengthened in the Holy Ghost, as you walk in God, that God will begin to bring his victory into your life. And those areas that have killed you in prayer, that the Lord will kill them. And so you have to ask for God's will. Lord, I want your will, whatever it is. I want your will. You've got to mean it. (laughs) Lord, I want your will. Now, here's something to help you along. You say, well, Lord, I want your will, but Lord, I don't know what that means. And that sounds really tough work, what we're getting this morning. It's a big homework this morning. Listen, God already has been on the job in you long before you ever got into the closet. In Philippians, it says, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do you know what that says in one other translation? It is God that worketh in you both to desire and to perform his will. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when I came to Christ and before that, God has his plan already in a template inside me. That's brilliant news. I'm not going to do this myself. The template's already inside you. God has a plan for your life. It's there. The template's there. I remember whenever I was converted, and I, I, it wasn't until years later I realized this, but I remember when I was converted as 16, 17, and I was listening to the late Reverend Sam Workman preaching. And when I got converted in that mission, I remember sitting there and this inner burden, desire, longing to do what he was doing. Now, when I look back now, I realize it was the template. All that has happened over the years is that God has dealt with the issues in my life, my selfishness, my desire for my own will, dealing with sin, dealing with the devil in my life, dealing with uh, all the areas. And what has happened is the template started to come through. And I find it very easy now because God says, not only will I put the desire in you, but then I'll give you the enabling of the Holy Spirit and I'll perform it. God says, you've got all my power at your, at your, to do my will, but not to do your own will. That's why many Christians fail, because they're trying to do their own will. And they're trying to ask God to bless what they're doing. It won't work. It doesn't work. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. You might be doing the wrong thing. God wants you to find the template that he put inside you, and then he'll fill you to perform that. You ask for God's will. What's wrong? Do you know one of the good things to do? Get a writing pad. I've done it on a number of occasions. Get a writing pad. Get a pen. Go in and either lie down, lie on your face, kneel, whatever is most comfortable, but in in a position of waiting before God and say, God, start speaking. Whatever you show me in my life, every area is open. And you give God time and I'll tell you the Holy Ghost will start to speak to you. He's not going to talk to you if you're just flinging about and going to meetings. He's not going to do that, my friend, because you haven't the hunger. You haven't the hunger. No point in God speaking to you if you're not listening. But once you put yourself in a position and you put your ear up and you say, Lord, I'm waiting at your gates. I'm listening, Lord, for you. Boy, will God speak to you. But he might say things that you like to hear and you probably won't because the problems that are breaking the communion through sin, world, and the devil, God will start to speak to you about them. Here's some of the things he might say to you. You know that money that you owe to that man? And you know rightly you owe him that money. And you wouldn't pay it to him. 
and you argued with him. And he'd done a service for you and you wouldn't pay him. And you walked away and you think you can walk with God and you owe that man money and you've never bothered. And you, you know what's wrong with you done because of your love of money and you just didn't want to pay. The Holy Ghost will say, listen, do you want God? Yes, God, I want you. Go and pay him. Go and pay him. But Lord, it's 500 pounds. Lord, it's a thousand pounds. A lot of money. Go and pay him. Him that honoreth me, I will honor. Oh, you're in the prayer meeting and you're here this morning, but you owe people money. You're wasting your time, my friend. You'd be far better at home. I want to be honest with you. I mean, you'll get some probably out of the service now. But as far as walking with God, no way. No way. Owe no man anything. Pay your debts. That man that you owe money to, that man needs that money. He has worked. His family need that money. And you're sitting up using it. And yet you'd have the audacity to go to the prayer meeting and call on God. You'd have the audacity to go out maybe even and give out a tract. Pay your debts. Well, the Holy Ghost, listen, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Pay your debts. You see people say, oh, came to Christ, it's all under the blood. <laughs> I killed men and I done this and I done that and it's all under the blood. My dear friends, the blood only covers what we uncover. When Zacchaeus got saved, immediately he gave back all that he had stolen. There's a good dose of conviction on the people of God and restitution that's needed in the house of God. The Holy Ghost, my dear friends, will bring a thousand things, but it'll all be personal and unique. That area that you hold back from God, you've never given to him. And God says, I want you to let go and give that to me. uh, These things won't be easy. It's never easy to die to yourself. But you start asking the Holy Spirit and he'll start speaking to you. And he'll start showing you things. And as he shows you things, you begin to confess. And you begin to repent. And then there's that person that you've never forgiven. And you carry the unforgiveness. My dear friend, there's no way forward with God with unforgiveness. There's that person that you've fallen out with, and if you saw them, you wouldn't look at them. My dear friends, things have to be settled in so far as humanly possible. That has to be done. But the Holy Ghost will show you that. The Holy Ghost will show you that. I did tell you the story, and I'm aware of my time here, but I remember a missionary, and I may have told you this, but I remember he came and had a meeting in our home. From He had been in Borneo. And he went out and he was all excited going to the revival in Borneo in the 1970s. Uh, and, and he was a wonderful servant of God. And he went to Borneo and he was so ready to serve the Lord. And when he arrived, he said the power of God was so great in Borneo with, with revival in the atmosphere that when he got off the plane, when he got off the helicopter or whatever it was, he said he couldn't physically walk. The power of God was so there, he said, I collapsed. And they carried me into the mission station. The wee children in Borneo, had wonderful gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they had gifts of discernment. They could read and see. God showed them things. And the wee children gathered around him, and they said his name, and they said, Sir, you have come as a missionary, but God can't use you. He said it was quite a humbling experience to have little children to come and tell me, the missionary, that God can't use me. They said, We see a black stone in your heart, sir. We can all see it, a black stone in your heart, and God can't use you. You see, friends, he knew immediately that he had fallen out with another Christian and and had left that behind in England and never resolved it. (laughs) You can't just leave your church and fall out with everybody and come to a new church. That's what everybody does now. Come to a new church. Oh, well, praise the Lord. We're going to go on with the Lord. Go back and sort out what you left behind you. It doesn't just come a clean sweep. We've got a new suit and got the children out and we're all out ready for worship now. My dear friends, spiritually, what happened in the past is still stuck to you. And you carry that with you until it's brought to God. And that's why the closet's so important. Because it's there that God gets the opportunity to speak in a way that he can't at other times. And so you speak to God. And God may show you a thousand things. But listen, let's close. 
It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18, Paul says, We with open face, beholding as in a mirror or a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does all that mean? That means whenever you go into the closet, And when you wait on God and you get honest with God and you obey God and you keep walking in light before God, what happens is you're in the presence of God. The Lord's with you there. And what will happen is you'll begin to sense his presence as you begin to confess and be honest. God will draw near to you. The Bible says draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And you'll feel that. And the Bible says as you continue to do that in your Christian life, you'll be changed, you'll be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory by the Spirit of the Lord. As you look at God in the mirror and you're in communion, something of his glory will come into you. And you'll begin to really enjoy being in the closet. And you'll enjoy just waiting on God. And you mightn't pray at all. You might just be there and just worship. You might be there and just sing. You might be there and just be silent and not say a word. And you could be there for a long period. And all would be rising in your heart is praise the Lord. You say, Alan, I would, I would love to go on. Well, here's what I want to encourage you because you have a great benefit at the minute. And honestly, I'm closing. Here's a great benefit. At the moment in this church, there's three prayer meetings. Now, I wouldn't tell everybody to go to church prayer meetings. Sadly, I wouldn't because, as I said earlier, some of them would do you more harm than good for, for this reason that I'm explaining this morning. But when people are really seeking God... You need to be with people that are seeking God. Because when you're waiting with them and when you're crying out to God, God can meet with those people and you can, you can have something of the freshness of God come down over you. Do you know there was a young man used in the revival in Wales and he was called Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts, when he was a young fella, in, I think he was maybe his late teens. Yes, he was. Late teens. But Evan Roberts loved the Lord. Teenager, he loved the Lord. And Evan Roberts, on a good summer's night, the boys would say, Evan, come on for the football. Come on for a game of football, Evan. Evan says, no, boys. I'm at the prayer meeting tonight. Come on, Evan, we have a lot of fun tonight. No. Why are you going to the prayer meeting? I've been going for 13 years, and God might come. And I wouldn't want to be praying playing out of football if God came and I missed God coming. Isn't it interesting that Evan Roberts was the instrument that God used in the revival? Do you think that had something to do with it? Do you think that had something to do with it? I think it was. I think the man was sold out to God as a teenager. I think that he loved God with all his heart. I think that he spent a lot of time in private and he had a good communion with God. And when it came Friday night, he was so excited. The last thing in his mind was money or football or anything. He wanted God. And you know what happened? God used him. And you know what happened? A hundred thousand people were converted in wheels. We could be doing with a few Evan Roberts today, you know. What about you, some of you young fellas? Some of you young lassies. You like to know God? The most important thing is to keep encountering God. Peter kept encountering God. (laughs) That's what made him the martyr at the end. Kept meeting God. You've got to keep meeting God, my friends. Don't get up and give your testimony say, I met him 40 years ago. God help us, you need to meet him after that. Did you meet him last week? I'm here to provoke you, that's what I'm doing. 
provoking you. I'm closing, honestly. A little boy was in the elevator. And he was trying to describe what the elevator was like. And it's so similar to the closet. The little boy, when asked what the elevator was like, he said this. I went into a little room. And the upstairs came down. Go into a little room, my friends. And wait on God and seek God and lay your all on the altar to God and give everything to God and upstairs will come down. And your Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. We want to thank you for your truth. And I ask in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and the truths and that which is anointed of the Spirit. And Lord, it will permeate in the hearts of your people. And I pray after this service this morning that people will consider their spiritual lives. I pray, Lord, that people will seek you and do what you want them to do. And I pray in this place that you will raise up a band of people who pray in the Holy Ghost and who are mighty in God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.